In a very short time, Nicholas Patel has established himself as one of the industry's go-to film composers. A piano virtuoso since the age of 10, Bertel went on to study at Juilliard's pre-college division and soon after graduating from Harvard found himself scoring for the Cannes Film Festival title, Gimme the Loot. Four Oscar seasons ago, he also wrote the spirituals in Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave. Other titles followed, Adam McKay's The Big Short, Natalie Portman's feature directorial, A Tale of Love and Darkness, but last Oscar season, Bertel actually landed a nomination for his original score on Moonlight, employing a unique mixing style in order to bring music to Barry Jenkins' visual poetry. This year, Bertel has composed the score for Fox Searchlight's The Battle of the Sexes, and we're here today to talk with him on Crew Call. So, piano was part of your life, has, been, has always been a part of your life, ever since the beginning. Yes. Tell us about how you found film scoring. What was one of the first pieces you heard? What was it, you know, was there a movie you watched and you just couldn't shake the score off that it said to you, you know, at some point in my musical career, I have to segue into this direction? Because you were born, I mean, you were you were born with a piano, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I was born near pianos, maybe, but <laughs> I know I've loved uh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've I, the piano was really how I how I started. But interestingly, um, it was film music actually that was very intertwined with the beginning of my musical experiences. I saw the movie Chariots of Fire. <laughs> obsessed with the music and I was obsessed with that theme and we had this very old like upright piano in our apartment in New York and I just went over to the piano and tried to figure out you know started playing the theme and I asked my parents for piano lessons so so in some ways film music right from the start was was an inspiration and then of course you know uh, as I studied I, I was exposed to so many different types of music I was a classical pianist am a classical pianist um, and seriously considered being a, a full-time concert pianist uh, when I was young um, I went to Juilliard for the pre-college and studied piano there took composition class there um, but you know, film music for me, there's something really special about that experience of the way that music interacts with the picture. Um, I I often think about how often with music, like I love music sometimes even more in the theater than outside of the theater. You know, when, when there's that interaction, I find that so powerful. Um, and I always, I think, you know, film is, it, it, it's sort of a mysterious industry. It's It's hard to know sometimes how how things come together and and how to get into doing that um and for me it was in college uh where i had a very dear friend who tragically uh passed away uh he died in a car accident a couple years ago nick lavelle i uh, was a brilliant director and uh we were both in school at harvard uh, for college and he was making a a uh, feature film that he was putting together. It was like a two and a half hour movie. Uh, I think the budget was like $10,000. <laughs> and 
you know, to be a film composer, you have to have a film <laughs> to score. So one day randomly, he just said, you know, would you like to score this movie I'm making? And I said yes, and I thought that'd be a really cool thing to try. And so, you know, we, we had those those early experimental experiences where you just you just try stuff out and you see like what happens if we did something like this and you know growing up loving film music loving classical music loving jazz um you know and 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 trying different things out i i think that was that was just sort of like a a, a revelation for me um and when you're in college also you you actually have the time to <laughs> you really have the time to go into it and try things and um and so that was really the first kind of more full-fledged score and I ended up writing you know two and a half hours of uh orchestral music for that thing and I did it all on like a Korg sequencer (laughs) keyboard so there's this whole score that was just me kind of like doing it all myself um so so yeah so and that was in 2001 so um so that was the first kind of real film experience I had and then from there I happened to have a lot of friends who were passionate about film and were uh, directing and, and starting to produce projects. And over the years, I would score their short films and just kind of do anything and everything that I could. Um, but it's a long road, you know. Um, you 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 just don't really know when or how or if these things come together. But I think I've been very lucky in the sense that I have had uh, collaborators and friends who and and who have shared that similar dream I guess of being able to do this. So how is the experience between indie films and studio films? Because you worked you, you one of your your early first big scores was Gimme the Lude. Yes, Gimme the Lude. Which went which went to Cannes. Yes. And um and then and then you started working on like you know, soon after you, you were doing the the, the slave spirituals, I, the, I did the on camera. I sort of wrote, researched, and arranged the the all the diegetic music in in twelve years. Yeah, in in twelve years of slave, yeah. big things were happening. There was the Big Short, uh, you know, Battle of the Sexes. But what's the difference? Is like working on an indie film, working on a a more studio geared project? Because I always hear about these. Long question, longer. Uh, I always hear about these these scenarios where the composer and the sound editing guy are battling it out in the final edit on a on a in a. And I just find that I'm just wondering: Have you had those uh, those situations yet, or is it much easier on an indie film? I think I think every movie is really different, and in some ways, for me, that's what attracts me to working in film it's that every movie is kind of its own adventure that you know you it's a new story it's a new universe to explore it's a new team you know not always you know some of the collaborators are you know stay the same but you know new new teams and I think it really must vary Um, for me I've definitely been lucky in the sense that on the projects that I've really had the chance to work really closely uh, with the filmmakers on yeah, you know we've we've been able to I think really express ourselves, um, and uh, I haven't had the, I guess those kinds of potential experiences that that certainly may happen. I mean I think I think there's always you know there are always you know problems to solve and there but but that's kind of the nature of um, I think that's the, that's the fun of the collaborative element. I mean for me as a composer. You know, I've I write music for not film as well. You know, I've written music for for the concert hall. Um, I've written. I've I was in a, ba- a hip hop band in college, so I've you know written a lot of hip hop music. Um, but 
yeah, I think there's something that I, you know, about the collaborative process of filmmaking that that really draws me to it. I love the fact that I get to this almost like an assignment. You get to figure something out, and you know, I think when this when the projects are larger, scale up in size, um, I think the key is if you can have a like a, a safe space with your close collaborators, you know, so if you're able to really work closely with directors, um, I don't think it matters if it's a tiny indie or if it's a big, you know, studio film, I think that's the key. So as long as you can find that space, I think you're able to, you know, express yourself. Um, so, and, and, you know, maybe I've been lucky in that sense in a lot of ways where I've had that chance to really get so close with directors. And, you know, for me, the key is about like, sitting in the room together and and feeling things together and trying things out together um but uh but yeah i mean i think the if you know every movie has its own uh challenges uh and and actually some of the larger projects i've done still you know technically might be considered sort of independently financed and you know you know studio released but independently financed so i think there's a lot of uh, blurring of the genres or boundaries of different types of film these days because it's all sort of one big uh you know, uh, like a world of, of film and finance these days. Now, coming to the battle of the sexes. Sure. T- tell us about that. Sure. How did the project come to you? Yes. Were you approached by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I was really, I, I was so excited uh, to get the call from John and Val. Uh, I actually, uh, a friend of mine reached out to me over the summer and said, um, that he'd been talking about my music to some directors, and uh, would I uh, send him, you know, a little Dropbox of my music just so they could hear some stuff? Uh, and about a, a, like a day or two later, I got a call from John and Val, and we and we just started talking. Um, they they sent me a rough cut of the movie to watch, and I was so excited. Honestly, I mean, you know, ever, like even what we just said before, you know, Chariots of Fire was the first movie that I really fell in love with. And there's, I had never done a, 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 like a film that had sports as a central element to it. And, you know, there are so many amazing movies that have those athletic endeavors in them. And the music always is something that's really powerful in those films. So I think just on the surface right away when I watched it, there's this incredible you know, uh, scope and the arc to the match. And then there's this match that already seemed creatively really exciting on a musical level. But what really drew me into the film was the the personal stories. You know, this isn't just a sports movie. This is a movie really about Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs and their own personal, uh, their, their, their hopes, their dreams, their struggles. You know, um, obviously, you know, Billie Jean has her, you know, her story of how she fell in love with Marilyn and uh, the the pursuit of, of, of her excellence and her and her you know art form which is her tennis playing and then Bobby Riggs who has his gambling addiction and his own personal family issues um, his insecurities so you know the movie really follows those stories and then their own personal journeys are kind of realized on this very public stage so I think that's what I thought was really unique about the story that you're you're actually you're seeing the match in a lot of ways, I think, through the lens of of their own inner journeys. Now, it's a piano-driven score for the most part. The piano is a, is a very central element, and actually, uh, it's interesting because I I use two pianos um, in the score. One of the things that we 
came to while we were working on it was um, for Bobby's character, um, I used a, a, like a, a sort of small upright piano. And for Billie Jean, when you see her, you're hearing actually a nine foot Steinway concert grand. So there's almost this very, you know, this sort of subconscious instrument metaphor of the fact that Billie Jean is this incredibly beautiful, powerful, uh, you know, um, uh, in incredible instrument, you know, uh, she is represented by that. And Bobby is this more like, you know, insecure, fragile kind of sound. Um, and I think, you know, you, it, I was tr in some ways musically bringing out um, the insecurities of Bobby and also subconsciously cueing the strength of Billie Jean. That discussion with the directors, yes. did you did you pitch that to them? Because what's interesting is, like I think of piano driven scores. I think of Dave Grusin's The Firm. Sure, which awesome is score. very yeah, awesome. Uh, and and that's so rare. And, and of course the piano, um, but I feel that they're so rare nowadays. Um, but it's so beautiful to hear. Thank you. you know when it like. When it happens, and sure, I remember, sure. I remember the. I will never forget the end credit scene for, um, uh, for Natalie Portman's film. Oh, A Tale of Love and Darkness. Yes. Yes, that was. I will never forget. That Thank was you. absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Um, but did you pitch it to them? Like, hey, I think this should be a piano-driven score. Here's like the whole idea of a sure. a '60s '70s pop jazz sensibility. Mm -hmm. Did you pitch that to them? I mean, because it, it's just such a great. It's a great fun score. Thank you so much. No, I'm 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 so glad you enjoyed it. It it was um you know for me. You never know really until you're trying stuff out what's going to work, and I and I think about that all the time with film, where um, sometimes the ideas that seem perfect on paper, once you, you know, put them up against the picture, that's the test, and and you kind of know right away. I feel especially if you're sitting with the directors and you're you're feeling things together, and that's the beautiful, uh, m mysterious alchemy of film music, which is that you know, in some ways you don't know what's going to work and you don't know until you try. With this, early on in our conversations, we talked about, you know, this is set in the 1970s. So uh, how do we approach the 1970s in a fresh or unique way? And one idea we had was, what if I wrote classical music and we scored it for like a, a 70s rock band? So it was like, you know, I wrote it for electric guitars and electric basses and drums, you know, and, and a rock organ. And interestingly, that texture is still there in the movie where you know there's a subtle uh, uh, jazz organ that you hear in different scenes which actually uh, a lot of the uh, initial musical ideas that are sort of seeded at the beginning of the film come to fruition in the match so there's a moment in the match for example where you hear just this big solo kind of jazz organ playing a, a part one of the competition themes um, but uh, we started out with this kind of 70s 
rock band, classical music inspiration. And then there was this idea of, well, what if we added woodwinds, you know? And so that seemed to work really nicely. And then what if we added strings? And so we added, you know, and so the scope, the film really responded as we increased the scope. But there were the two sort of key themes or initial themes, this, uh, the Billie Jean's, uh, you know, competition theme as we sort of think about it. Um, And Bobby's own inner theme, his sort of personal theme. For some reason, you know, both of those felt uh, like the piano was was right in some way to start. Because a lot of the themes, they start with the piano, and then over the course of the film, the orchestration is constantly sort of growing. And really, if you look, most of the themes um, kind of culminate with the orchestra at the match, which was kind of the idea that you take these initial ideas in in a more stripped-down way, and as the journey unfolds, the music sort of unfolds with them, you know. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know why. I don't, uh, you know, think of oh, we're gonna do piano. It's sometimes it just feels right, and you follow it. The the cue, a really fun cue, is um, the one where he's playing tennis with the dog. Dog tennis. It's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Like, tell me a little bit. Yeah, sure. Like, tell me a little bit about those, 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 those jazzy, sure, those jazzy references. Absolutely. Like, it's like it reminds me of when, like, it's so sincere. It reminds me of like when Giacchino was emulating um, the Barry, you know, the Barry score from like 007 in The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. It's like I feel. You know, you're you're harking back. You're yeah. you're really emulating a great era. Well, thank and, and 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 I think that was one of the questions was you know what are the ways that you can evoke a, a time and a place um, without being on the nose? You know, so with that, Bobby's theme was interesting for us because um, initially I approached him with a more classical kind of approach, actually. Um, and there was a moment when we were working on the film where where John Val and I were sitting together and. It felt like it was. It just for some reason wasn't conveying the right, like character of him. And there was this. This it was really almost like kind of a guess. But you know, it was like, what if we approached Bobby with like a almost kind of like a lonely small jazz band, you know, like a smoky jazz band, you know, with this upright piano and a double bass and brush drum. This was actually just that Bobby Riggs cue, I think track three on the album. And um, it, 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 just, it just felt right. It, it, felt more, um, it felt more like it spoke to his own inner uh, fears or insecurities, which I thought was an interesting musical um, approach. And we all felt that because overtly he is this sort of, you know, like not only, a, you know, a chauvinistic kind of salesman, um, but he's got this like incredible, 
you know, uh, spectacle. He's like almost like a P.T. Barnum kind of character putting this massive, you know, sugar daddy, like, you know, battle of the sexes together. Um, and so it was interesting to sort of, you know, I, I like thinking musically about what is the sound that we can, wh what can we do with the music where we're hearing something that we're not seeing? So the piano-driven jazz there uh, was his inner theme. And then with dog tennis, you know, you're seeing this guy, uh, you know, taking bets on can he win a tennis match while he's like leashed up with like two dogs and playing with one arm you know so and there what actually we do is um took the there are a couple motifs from that bobby riggs theme that you see in the beginning and then basically put it on this 70s like kind of jazz blues band uh with with saxophones and electric guitars and clarinets you know almost these kind of like seemingly like drunk clarinets you know and it um Again, it felt like it was it was him, but then it was him kind of you know playing tennis with dogs. <laughs> so, so you know there, that sort of leap of how that happens sometimes is uh, you have a hunch and you explore it and you see. And for us, that really you know I think it felt like Bobby. That was uh, yeah. When 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 did you record it and um, and where did you? Sure. Uh, we we recorded it in January. Um, earlier this year, and we did it all in Los Angeles. Um, so the uh, the smaller ensemble sessions uh, we did at Henson Studios, and uh, the orchestra, the big orchestra, we recorded at the Warner uh, Eastwood stage, uh, and with amazing, just like the most extraordinary LA musicians. I mean, I can't say enough about how beautiful uh, they they performed the score, and uh, and that was really a very special experience for for all of us because I think growing up. It's the the dream is really to get the chance to, you know, to to do that and to record with an orchestra and to be there and and sort of feel the music come together in that way. And I think when you're working on a score, especially when you get the opportunity to have an orchestra, um, the the difference between your, uh, you know, what you're working with and then how it actually gets realized, it's such a it's such a spectacular kind of uh, change that happens. Now, something I always like to ask composers, yes, because we always assume this growing up that every single composer conducts their own orchestra, right? <laughs> do you do do you conduct your own um, when you're recording? I do, yeah, I do. So I I conducted the orchestra, um, and uh, yeah, it's and it's interesting too because I think there are different approaches to it. Um, if you're in the booth. Uh, listening, your 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 focus can you know you're able to hear different things. So I have a, a very incredible, trusted uh, friend and colleague, John Finkley, uh, my music editor, and so he is in the booth listening, uh, and and I'm uh, on the podium conducting because I think for me when you're when you're there actively participating in the in the recording and you're there with the musicians. For me, you know, and it's a it's a personal you know choice, but you're I think you're 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 able to better convey your feeling and what you're going for, um, and and yet there are always you know there are certainly you know positives to being in the booth too because you you actually you're hearing the the mix you know so there's 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 pros and cons of both, but for me I really uh, I love being being out there. One of the things I wanted to end end our interview on today sure. was. You received your Oscar nomination, your first one last year, for for scoring Moonlight. What a fascinating score! Um, it and it was through a process that you you had taught me about called chopped, called chopped and screwed. Yes. Which is 
so tell us a little bit about that. But it was really interesting because it was a very, it was a very eclectic emotional score, one that I would never ever think for um, an African, you know, an, an inner city African American tale, and yet it was so beautiful. You know, it, it was like um, it was like music wrapped. You know, like the it was very emotional. It was like music wrapped in a blanket. But it was, um, and you, I know one of your jumping off points was how do you capture poetry? Mm-hmm. If you could talk, if if you could talk about just your approach, your your brilliant approach to moonlight, that would well, be great. Absolutely, um, and thank you. Um, yeah, it was it was a comb- I think there were sort of two two directions of thought with that. From early on, uh, Barry Jenkins, our amazing director, he had. Um, he had the the feeling that he wanted, uh, you know, an orchestral or a more orchestral kind of a score. He knew that early on. He wanted real instruments. That was very important um, to to him, and and it felt right to both of us. Um, that there was that feeling I had early on, just from reading the script, and then was was furthered when I saw the the early cut of the film, which was there was this feeling of of, of poetry. It was a tenderness and an intimacy and a sensitivity in uh, in what Barry created, and. That was the starting point for, for, for example, for Little's theme was this idea of how do you take that feeling and then translate it into music. So I, I wrote this piece that I called uh, Piano and Violin Poem. <laughs> you know, it's really channeling that. And I sent it to Barry, uh, and he put it up against the picture. Um, and, uh, and that's Little Seam, actually. And I recorded that uh, with, uh, with incredible violinist named Tim Fain. Uh, and so that was, that was one initial uh, path that we followed for Moonlight. But then uh, in parallel to that, from right away from the beginning um, of our conversations, Barry had talked about his love for chopped and screwed music, which is uh, essentially a style of uh, Southern hip hop where you take a track and you take a recording and you slow it down. And when you slow the recording down, the pitch goes down. So you get this really deepened and enriched texture of the sound. It, 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 it changes it, 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 it and it evolves it. And we had this conversation where we just sort of said, you know, what if we did that to a classical score? You know, just like, what if, hey? Um, and uh, we tried it out where I we said, okay, what if I wrote, you know, the score and recorded the music and then took my own recordings and bent them and slowed them and screwed them? And, uh, you know, again, that's one of those ideas, I think, like what we're, like we were saying, the mystery of this where it sounds cool. You don't know if it's going to work, though. And what was really um, like sort of a revelation to us was that it, it worked. It felt totally like it was part of the fabric of the movie. And it became for us a means of evolving the musical ideas in the score where, um, you know, the music is the the. the notes you know themselves so the music is changing the instrumentation is changing across the three chapters um but you're also having literally the elements and the audio recordings themselves are evolving over the course of the three chapters
So that was this other almost like dimension that we had that we could experiment with. I don't think I've ever heard a composer ever do that before with their music. There are, you know, there are people who, uh, well, certainly from starting from uh, like the, the pioneer, like DJ Screw in the beginning, but, you know, in hip hop for sure. But there are other composers, I think, who I don't know if, if it's, you know, I, I'm not aware of it if in film, you know, scores that's necessarily happened. But I, I think there are certainly other composers who have been, you know, playing around with these kinds of ideas. And I think in some ways it almost goes back to. Uh, you know, even like the early to mid 20th century with the experiments of like musique concrète and taking, a, you know, almost like sampling sounds and uh, experimenting with them. So I think it's very linked with exploring, um, you know, exploring music through technology in some ways where this is a process that's only possible with technology. And I think about that a lot because, you know, the piano that we were talking about, you know, piano is just a, essentially it's a beautiful piece of technology, you know, and as time goes on, you know, different technologies come about that open up musical doors. Um, so I think these days with the audio production technologies that we can use, it, it like this, it opens up these new avenues for, for musical experimentation. So also in this, you wrote a song in, in Battle of the Sexes with um, Sarah Bareilles. Yes. Tell us about how you were paired up and she plays piano and guitar. She does, yes. And tell us about your collaboration. Absolutely. Um, it was a dream of ours. I think, you know, even early on in the process of working on Battle of Sexes, we, uh, John Val and I had talked about having a song that, f that could feel for the film like it was a culmination of of a lot of the uh, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the um, you know empowering message of the film, uh, and we reached out to Sarah, and she she uh, wanted to collaborate. She was uh, she loved the film. She uh, she felt it was it was you know the powerful message, and she found it very inspiring. And uh, it was awesome getting the chance to work with her too. Um, we worked where actually in the very beginning, this is like the way technology works. We were in different continents when we first started collaborating, but I had sent her a um, kind of a demo idea of uh, taking some of the themes from the film and evolving them in a way. And she took those and, 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 and sent back another demo from that, which was incredible. And we basically, you know, she wrote amazing lyrics, uh, and we just had this wonderful experience working together on it where I think we, we, you know, there was this kind of trying to balance the feeling of, on the one hand, this larger scale uh, global story of empowerment, um, and yet at the same time, you know, having it still feel personal. I think that was really the key to, uh, to the song. If I dare to ask it, and I dare it to be true. If I dare to risk it, and I know that I'm willing to. If I dare to want this, to want more than I have, then I dare to believe. I'll have it in the Sarah is an amazing musician. I, I think uh, I've, you know, I've loved her work. She has an unbelievable voice, um, but she's also a brilliant songwriter. And so, you know, having the chance to sort of like evolve what we had been doing in the movie into a song was incredibly exciting. And um, and also, I think 
I, I haven't had as many chances to to do that sort of a thing before. So this was really a wonderful, um, you know, wonderful opportunity. The name of the song is "If I Dare." It's an anthem. Trying to be, yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah. I mean, I think we really wanted it to feel like, um, like it had an anthemic quality and could be, um, you know, something that people could could take away from the film and that could actually sum up a lot of the ideas of the film. The a little bit of trivia here, um, and Pete Hammond told me this story. Our awards, our awards editor. Um, so Billie Jean King was very close with Elton John. Do you know the story? Uh, yes, I do. And Philadelphia Freedom. Yes. He wrote that for her. I know. Which I found to be very interesting. Yes. They're they're very good friends. Yeah. Yeah. And actually we got the chance I got the chance to to get to know Billie Jean and met Billie Jean and um and I can I can say she's just the most inspiring person. I mean it's really it's incredible, you know, having the chance to talk to her and and and, and hear about everything. I mean we uh, yeah, we really had just an, a remarkable time working on the film. She has a very, um, you know, because you think, oh, uh, you know, Bobby Riggs, male chauvinist, and she has a very sobering, you know, um, gentle assessment of him. That no, he he was um, he was a guy that you know he was a promotional guy. He knew how to work his brand, and he was never. He was never everything that he was promoting himself to be. He wasn't this. He wasn't really, you know, at the heart of himself, a chauvinistic guy. Well, they gambler, became, yes, but certainly, and they became very close. I mean, uh, my understanding is they they were very close, you know, up until his death, actually. So, tell us about um, some of your non cinematic projects that are going on because you you have your hands in everything, um, Benjamin um, Benjamin Milpier. Milpier, yeah. Uh, has a new Los Angeles um, dance project here in the city. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I've been honored to get the chance to collaborate with Benjamin and, and uh, have friendship with Benjamin for many years now. And uh, Benjamin founded the LA Dance Project here, and um, I'm part of the, you know, I guess we call it kind of the founding creative collective of it, <laughs> I guess. Um, but LA Dance Project is a, a dance company here. Um, they perform all around the world. And I think the, the you know, the goal really is to uh, further uh, arts and, and dance culture in Los Angeles. Um, one of the exciting things about working with Benjamin is I think both of us have, for many years, always thought about what, how, what are the ways that we can bring some of our uh, arts backgrounds and the things that we love and how do you bring those to the largest possible audience, you know? Because I think um, that's really the joy of artistic projects for me in a lot of ways and certainly for Benjamin is sharing them, you know, and how do you, and, and having people uh, experience them. So uh, for sure, LA Dance Project um, is 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 a an exciting uh, sort of new uh, you know, newer uh, company here in Los Angeles, and Benjamin's doing amazing work with them. The dancers are incredible, um, and uh, we actually have a new uh, whole dance space in in uh, in LA. Um, Where and, is it? Uh, 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 I can I can get you the address. Actually, in uh, we we've been based in downtown, but it's in the, in the downtown area. Um, and uh, also, uh, I was going to mention the Dakota. Uh, which is the affiliate ensemble of Carnegie Hall that I'm the chairman of the board of. And um, that's, a, a, I, I believe so strongly in this group, it's um, uh, a flexible classical ensemble um, that, that ranges in size from, you know, smaller, let's say even like a trio 
size and we have actually 30 members so they can you know it can expand into up to you know usually let's say an octet or a non-ad even and uh, the, the, the focus of that group is really sort of like a dual mandate, one of performance. They're amazing musicians um, who perform all around the world, um, but also about bringing music to places where the music, where music is in short supply. So Dakota goes into prisons and nursing homes, hospitals, does a lot of educational outreach in schools. Um, and I, I think that's another very, you know, powerful and important uh, thing that, that artists and musicians can do, which is like, how do you actually bring music and, and bring the arts to as many places as possible so people can share in that and experience that. So both, you know, both LA Dance Project and Dakota are two, um, uh, you know, very, I think very, very wonderful and, and, and uh, you know, things that, you know, projects that I'm very passionate about. Are you writing yeah. original music for LA Dance Project, certain productions? I, I'm not uh, doing anything for LADP right now. Um, but uh, but Benjamin and I actually have a few projects that we are starting to uh, work on together. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for listening to the Crew Call podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the podcasts app, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.